Our reading is from Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. I'll be right there, Link. Come here. Is that better? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. What is that? That I may know him. What is that? That's blood. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the, the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You want your phone, brother? Go give that. Give that to Mr. Morris. That was wonderful. Let's, that's loud. Let's pray together and ask that God's Spirit would give us Delightful, joyful confidence in his resurrection. God, help us to trust, to rejoice in our Redeemer. He is the greatest treasure. Help us to trust in no other. Help us to be satisfied in him alone. God, there are a hundred, a thousand things swirling around us, threatening day by day, breath by breath. And we cannot survive any of them with any confidence of our own. Help us to glory in Christ, to be certain of His resurrection, and to know that we are secure in a coming resurrection in Him. Give us this confidence for His glory. Help us to rejoice in Him alone. Amen.
I got to pull up the lyrics of Christ, the sure and steady anchor again. I about lost it. On that last verse, as we face the wave of death, when these trials give way to glory, as we draw our final breath, we will cross that great horizon clouds behind and life secure and the calm will be the better for the storms that we endure. That's what this sermon is all about. It's the imminent and pervasive presence of death presses in around my family and even many of you who are dealing with suffering as well. It has a way of really challenging your worldview and focusing your affections. It has a way of helping you see what voices to listen to and which ones to drown out as just noise. Threats to your safety reveal where you're putting your confidence. So with pandemic news everywhere, with recent death of a beloved family member and the impending threat of death on my unborn son, I have come to understand that more and more that I have such little control over life and death. Through the various medical trials that my family's had in our lives, we've gained a pretty detailed knowledge of how the systems of the body work, how they develop, how they're supposed to work anyway. It's such a complex system that I marvel. I can hardly believe that we don't have more problems with our bodies. And as society grasps for more control over what I'm coming to see as quite uncontrollable, I marvel that any of us are even still alive. In light of all these complexities in the world, our humanistic mindset is to try to seek more information so we can organize it all and just get greater control over it. But more information isn't necessarily better. It only makes the picture more complex. It doesn't give us the wisdom to deal with it all. It only gives us the illusion that we are safe. And every time we try to gain control over one thing, some other part of the system begins to break down. Control in this broken world is an illusion. Safety is never guaranteed. It's good for us to pursue safety. We were, it's part of our design to get order out of things. But in our text today, Paul wants us to make sure we are focusing that effort in the right place. The only guarantee we have of any safety is in the resurrection of Christ and his promise of a resurrection for us. This section that we're looking into today warns us that we all tend to seek our safety in what we worship. One theologian wrote, what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or restoration. What people revere, what you worship, you become like, you start to resemble, and that's not always a good thing. It will destroy you or it will renew you, depending on where your faith is. You become like the things you put your hope in. If your confidence is in something in this world, then your level of safety and peace will be just as flimsy. 
We're all on this constant search to avoid pain, to find safety, to reduce suffering. Always analyzing the risks, asking the questions, what do I need to do to avoid what he's going through? Or to not ever go through that again, to bring blessings, a positive outcome on my life. This text, Paul does the risk analysis for you. And he tells you that the most secure place to find your safety is in the resurrection. He exhorts us to risk everything else and rejoice together in the safety of the resurrection. Paul has experienced the highs and the lows of life. He's had everything and he's had nothing. And the wisdom he's gained through that, he is using to tell us that there is no risk at all when you trust in the resurrection. He's going to argue that point with a contrast in the two halves of this text. In verses 2 through 6, he tells us what's not safe. He warns us of false safety. Beware of false safety. He's tried finding safety in all kinds of things, in having identity labels, in good works, even strict religious observance. And it only provides a dangerous illusion of safety. And then he exhorts us from that experience to attain eternal safety from verses 7 to 11. He wants us to see that the illusion, the illusion we have in our fleshly confidence and instead invest everything into that coming resurrection. This whole book of Philippians has been this constant emphasis on how you can find the most joy in your life. And Paul says the way you find, you maximize your joy is by investing everything in the resurrection. And see how in verse 1, how he sets the whole thing up. This first verse is just an introduction to what he's about to say. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. So this is all about. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe. For you. Halfway through the book now, and he, st- he says, finally. It's just like a preacher to tell you he's almost finished and then keep on going for a long time. The word finally here doesn't necessarily mean that he's wrapping things up. He's really trying to summarize what's everything he's been talking about to this point. Refocus our minds before he gets to the end. After hearing all of these exhortations, these examples to follow, these examples of faithful gospel partnership, he wants to refocus back on the main point of it all, which he says is rejoice in the Lord. This whole letter is about getting you the most joy in the Lord. And how have we seen to do, we are to do that through joyful gospel partnership. Humbling yourself and becoming a servant to everybody else in your church. Making your life about building up the church. Going out into the world and adding more to the family. And then giving your life to disciple them. To training them. To equipping them and maturing them into faithfulness. In chapter 2, then Paul emphasized three examples of people who did this really, really well. Obviously, Jesus. He's always the right answer. Jesus emptied himself of his high position in heaven to become one of us, 
to become a servant unto death in order to save his church. And then Timothy, he left home behind to go plant churches with Paul, walking side by side with him in the gospel, suffering every step of the way through all of his trials. And then Epaphroditus, who risked his life to be a mailman. To carry the church's offering to Paul and to bring his letter back to the church at Philippi. Now after hearing these examples of Christ, the church is reading this letter and going, uh, I'm starting to see a common theme here in all of these great examples. Paul, Jesus, Timothy, Epaphroditus. One thing that ties them all together is the risk of death. The Christian life just doesn't seem very safe. The church fears that this ongoing relationship with Paul is both causing him and them more suffering. But he, he tells them, don't worry about it. To keep exhorting these same things to you over and over is no trouble to me. And it's safe for you. I'm just going to keep saying the same thing over and over. Pursue this joyful gospel partnership no matter what threat surrounds you. He acknowledges the danger, but now he's writing to recalibrate their understanding of what is safe. And first he does that by telling us what is not safe in verses 2 through 6. So as I love to do every time, let's read those verses again. To read the warning to beware false safety. Seems cheating when you put it up on the back. (laughs) You could put it back up there. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. In this section, Paul is appealing to what we naturally think is safe. What we want to run to to find our safety, to prove our stability. And he flips it upside down to reveal that what we gravitate toward to find our safety is actually a dangerous, false security. This primary threat is exemplified in these Judaizers. They're these Jewish teachers of the law, Pharisees, who are trying to convince the Philippian church that their teaching is the most safe. What do they teach? They say, only is, you, you can only be saved if you're an Israelite. If you're a Gentile, you, you can become one. But if you stay a Gentile, they call you a dog. You're dirty. You're filthy. You've got to become a good Jew if you want God's protection. You've got to live a good and pleasing life to God. And nobody knows how to please God and do good things better than the Pharisees. The teachers of the law. They know their Bibles better than anyone. They kind of have a bad reputation in our minds. 
But at that time, they had a reputation for doing a lot of good things. If they can't do it, nobody can. And they say that it all begins with their faithful religious practices like circumcision. So they remember the law, the first five books of the Bible. They teach that God has promised safety for those who embrace this identity, do good works, and observe these religious practices. This can be quite tempting then for the church. Ever since they started trusting Jesus, things have gotten a lot more difficult for them. People's lives at risk for trusting Jesus and obeying him. They're mocked by the Roman culture and the Jewish leadership. Threat of danger coming from both sides, making them feel like their, their lives are, their immediate lives are at risk, but also that they're gambling with their eternal safety. Is following Jesus and listening to Paul really the best thing to do? Is gathering to worship week after week with this group of people really worth the risk? So Paul flips the understanding around. These Judaizers, they think they're the true worshipers. But then Paul says, no, they're the dogs. And we are the ones who worship by the Spirit. They think they're the ones who know how to do good, and they do good really well. But he says, no, they're evildoers. None of us can do good. We only boast, we only glory in the goodness of Christ. We put no confidence in the work that we do. There's this little play on words in verses 2 and 3 where Paul emphasizes this difference. Their circumcision is really just mutilating the flesh. The words are very similar in Greek. Circumcision was supposed to be the symbol of a heart changed to love God. And if your heart's not changed, then all you're doing with that knife is mutilating your flesh. This powerful imagery highlights the danger of the false security we pursue. The most dangerous place you can be is building an identity and highlighting your works and then attaching religious language to it to explain why your position is the most secure. Anything you point to in your life, proof of your wisdom as a reason to be confident is a flimsy foundation on shaky ground. It might at times give you temporary relief but it's really just lulling you to sleep, making you less aware of the real and greater dangers that are all around you. Nothing could be more deadly, more dangerous in this life, more unsafe than justifying your decision-making based on your ideas, your knowledge and wisdom, your relationship, your desires and plans, and all the worldly perspectives we use to support them. These are weak foundations. False safety. At any moment, God could take it all away. You think life is going along normally and the next week you're in the hospital. You go to find out the gender of your baby and you find out that his heart doesn't work. God can take it all away in a moment. 
You think you've built a solid plan, but you can lose your job, your spouse, your child, your life at any moment in a thousand ways that you never prepared for. In an instant, it could all come crumbling down. But you know what's even worse than that? God letting you have it all. And not taking it until the very last moment when it's too late. Letting you keep all of your safety and security until you stand before him in judgment and he reveals that you've been worshiping yourself, not him. And you need to give a defense for your confidence in your own goodness. We find safety in what we worship. And even in this life, your flesh will never satisfy that desire for safety For security. You'll have no peace because nothing can satisfy what your heart longs for. You'll always have to work harder, earn more money, study more, indulge one more time in that pornography, take one more hit of those drugs, try one more different business adventure because what you've tried has never been enough. They always leave you feeling vulnerable. Paul knew this. Personally, he said, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. You want to talk about someone who's accomplished it all. And he lists the reasons. Along the same lines as condemning those Pharisees. He knows very well that nothing we can do can produce the safety we long for. He describes that he had the right identity labels. He lists the good work that he did to earn those labels. This worthiness of that identity. And he describes his blameless devotion to those religious rituals. It's not to say he thought he was sinless, but compared to everyone else, who could bring a charge against him? Who could say that he was ignorant or weak or that he wasn't really sincere? He killed people for his religion. Paul really just hates talking about himself. He hates talking this way because he knows it's all worthless. He knows he deserves condemnation for it. But he wants to cut off the argument that's coming from these religious rulers that he's speaking out of ignorance. He doesn't want them to come back with the argument that he just doesn't understand. Trust us, we're the experts. We know what safety is. Don't listen to them. He's got more expertise than all of them. And he knows that their expertise is an illusion. Everything he's accomplished, God took it away in a moment. He's walking down the road to go prove his worthiness. And all of his wisdom was made foolish. All of his political connections made worthless. All of his strength, all of his wealth, all of his influence vanished. Even after having all these things, he knew he falls so far short. He hadn't ever done enough. There's always the constant threat of judgment. There's always the fear that it could be taken away. He had no safety. Until that resurrected Jesus burst onto the scene and blinded him with his glory. He tore down all those trophies of false safety and gave him confidence that Paul could attain the resurrection. He could attain eternal safety through the righteousness of Christ. So let's look at his joy starting again in verse 7. After listing all of these things, he says, But whatever gain I had, 
I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may know my gain, Christ, and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The section is just repeating the same idea three times over and over. Loss and gain, loss and gain, loss and gain. Building clarity with each repetition. Every earthly pursuit, every accomplishment is empty compared to knowing and being known by Christ. The language that Paul uses here is that of a financial balance sheet of comparing profit and loss. On the one side is everything Paul's accomplished. Way more than any of us will ever accomplish. This guy was a genius. He's got education. He's got relationships with important people. He's got valuable job experience, access to all the places of influence. And on the other side is Christ. His perfect righteous life. His faithfulness to the Father. His eternal joy-filled promises. His friendship. The presence and power of His Spirit. The love of His Father. The guarantee of His blessings. The protection of His armies. The payment of your sins on His cross. If you want any security... The only place to find it is in Christ. He says everything else is rubbish. The word means garbage. But don't think of the garbage can that you have in your home with a plastic bag full of plastic containers and tin cans and scraps of paper and cardboard boxes. No, their garbage cans were clay pots that they put their food scraps in. And when you're done working out in the field, in the pasture, you might have stepped in something. You wash off your feet and pour the water in there. And that's also where you relieve yourself. That was their toilet. When he says rubbish, he means sewage. That's what he thinks of his old life. That's what he thinks of your righteous deeds in your flesh. That's what he thinks of worldly expertise. Betting your safety, your peace, your joy on sewage. The bottom line of this balance sheet should be obvious. Let go of it all and cling to Christ in this life. Gain Christ. Count it all loss to gain Christ. What does that even mean to gain Christ? He explains in verse 9. To gain Christ is to be found in Him. If you're in Him, then everything on His side of the balance sheet is yours. 
All of his rewards, all of his righteousness, everything he earned is yours. It's a passive verb here, to be found. Not to find Christ, but to be found by Christ. Meaning, he did the work, not us. We didn't earn it. We don't accomplish it. We don't find him. Being found in him means all of his righteousness credited to you. All of his goodness seen as yours. All of his rewards now given to you. Because all of your sins were placed on him. It's not a righteousness of our own, but Christ's righteousness that comes through faith. Faith is one of those words that we throw around a lot, but still doesn't have a clear meaning. In this world, at least. It's not some blind leap into the dark. Well, I hope it works. you got really strong faith to jump into the unknown without any confidence that it's going to work. No, that is not faith. Faith is exactly opposite of that. It is trusting something, putting your confidence in it. You've done the hard work of weighing the costs and the risks and the benefits. You consider whether the thing you're putting your trust in is worthy and reliable. Does it have a history of success? Does it have the strength and the wisdom to carry you along to a desirable destination? Paul's answer in this entire section, is that nothing you have, nothing in your heart, in your mind, in your body, no relationship, no training, no experience is reliable to get you the safety you desire. The only thing reliable that can endure and lead you to lasting safety is Christ. Faith in Him means trusting that His perfect life is now seen as yours. Trusting that His death pays for yours. Trusting that His resurrection from the dead guarantees yours. And trusting that His Spirit at work in His people is God's means to helping you attain that resurrection. It's the only thing that can produce the safety you desire. And when you trust in Him, look what happens in verses 10 to 11 and show you that the results of trusting Jesus. When you trust Him in this way, you know Him personally. You know Him. Don't read over that too fast. That I may know Him as my friend, as my brother, as my king, as my protector, as my provider, as my savior, as my comforter. Just as much as all of you have been to me. I know Him through you. You don't just know Him, but you know the power of His resurrection. Not just in the future when you die and He raises you to eternal life. I mean right now in this life. When you put your life at risk. When you just throw yourself out there. You make yourself unsafe in the world. Not foolishly, but in order to make the surpassing worth of Christ known. He delights to hold you in His hands and show off His power. Molly and I like to tell the story that 10 years ago, we used to lament that we never had any God stories. We thought, God just doesn't work that way in our lives. We're just ordinary, Midwestern, rural Minnesotan people that talk a little funny sometimes. God doesn't work like that in people like us. 
And I realized it was a dangerous illusion. We were trusting in our own strength, in our own flesh. We were putting confidence in our own abilities. Pursuing our own plans, but when we let go of those things that grasp on our own lives and we took big risks that threatened our safety, wanting to see God glorified in it, that's when the God story started piling up and many of you have heard them. If you want to know Christ and His power, you've got to be willing, Paul says, to share in His sufferings. Willing to lay your financial stability in His hands. Willing to change your job if it means you can't be in partnership with the church. Willing to put your comfort at risk to have people in your home. Willing to risk even death that others may gain Christ with you. The risk is totally worth it. Whatever job or relationship or money or life you've got right now that you love... It will be restored a thousand times in the resurrection. That's Paul's hope. That's all he's clinging to. He wants to leave behind everything that would weigh him down from getting to that point. And he wants to lead the Philippians there with him. That's what I see my job as your pastor. My job is not just to help you do a little better, be a little happier in this life. Some pithy biblical wisdom. Leadership isn't about making people happy right now. Sometimes you might get some happiness out of it. But being a leader means making a decisions to help you be happy 20, 50, or 10,000 years into the future. My primary concern isn't to give you more safety today, but to ensure your safety in the resurrection from the dead. To remind you there is no safety in this life. To encourage you to cast all your confidence in the ditch and get on the narrow path with the church as we walk together weekly, daily, pressing on to the day of Christ's return when all this suffering will finally have been worth it. When all the joy will be multiplied, all the losses will be restored, the promises made complete and the safety made forever. Go in with your entire life to gain that resurrection. That's what I want for every single one of you. I want you to know Christ like that and to experience the power of His resurrection. So let me finish up just telling you how you can do that with a reminder of our outline. First, beware false safety. Ask yourself, What are the things that you put your confidence in? That you define your identity with? What are the things that tempt you to believe you have more control than you really do? Or maybe ask a different way. What are the things you're doing to build a safety net just in case God doesn't come through? Just in case it's a little bit harder than you realized. Just in case the church hurts you. Or just in case the resurrection doesn't really happen. You might think to yourself, this is what I did even a couple years ago. Well, at least I still got my engineering license in case this pastor thing doesn't work out. Well, that's gone. Some of you might think, at least I've got my retirement savings. I've got this property I could sell off. I've got my education. I've got my health. I can come back maybe in a couple of months, in a couple of years 
Once I get married, once I have children, once I get the job I want, once I retire, once the pandemic is over, then I'll go all in. Or maybe consider, how do you feel about Jesus coming back? Would you be disappointed if he came back tomorrow? Would you say, but I didn't get a chance to get married. I didn't get to have kids. I never got to get my dream job, finish my education, buy my first house. Or put a little Christian spin on it. I didn't get to go on my mission. My family hasn't gotten saved yet. Well, what's holding you back? You're waiting for someone to tell you it's safe? The only safety we have is the resurrection. Beware false safety. Count everything as loss, as rubbish, and invest every effort to rejoice together in the safety of the resurrection. Beware false safety and go all in to attain the resurrection, eternal safety in the resurrection. I think pursuing Christ in this life is like taking off on an airplane. You can't do it half speed to get more comfortable or you're going to crash at the end of the runway. You've got to go full throttle. This The lift depends on the speed. Or it's like riding a bike. You're first learning how to ride a bike. you got to keep your head up, your eyes forward, and pedal as hard as you can. Once you start slowing down, looking behind, looking at yourself, you find yourself veering off to the side in the back of a parked car. I did that when I was a kid. When you try to avoid falling, you're thinking about yourself too much and you guarantee you will fall. You think about yourself less and press on towards your destination. To attain the resurrection, we've got to go all in towards Christ. Any confidence we put in what's behind or what's around us will only lead us to crash at the end of the runway. Don't live trying to avoid falling. Don't strive to avoid being a burden. No. Take a resurrection risk to be a blessing. If you want to see the power of God at work in your life, you're going to need to let go of the control. Be willing to lose out on some good things in order that you can more faithfully join the body of Christ in pressing on towards the safety of the resurrection. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ isn't risen from the dead and we don't rise with Him, we are fools. We are to be pitied because we risked everything. We made ourselves look like idiots. We gave up everything and put ourselves in danger to gain Christ. I think every one of us knows what we ought to be doing with this type of risk-taking focus on Christ. Paul's, this whole message, this whole letter has been band together and join in joyful gospel partnership. Give more, serve more, endure together. Do something for the church where your only safety valve is the resurrection. Where the only thing you can say is, if this doesn't work out, I know I've got resurrection. Bet your life on the resurrection of Christ. Count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of gaining Christ. Risk everything and rejoice together in the safety of our coming resurrection. Let's pray.
God, I pray you would reveal to us all right now what the one thing is that we've been clinging too tightly to. That you would reveal to us the one step we know we're supposed to take that we're afraid will cause us harm. Help us be willing to take all that harm in order to gain Christ. That we would say with Paul, to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Use this church to make the surpassing worth of Christ known in this city. Amen.